that we would carry them out with us as we walk out the doors today, God. Let this not just be a worship that happens today, but a worship that happens throughout the week and throughout the rest of our lives, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So welcome to First Baptist Church. Glad you're here. There is joy in the house of the Lord today because of what Jesus has done. It's not I, but it's Christ living in me. I hope you know that joy. I hope as we open up God's word this morning, my prayer is that you can understand that joy and the faith journey that God has you on, no matter what brought you here this morning. If you're a visitor, if you're here every single week, we're just thankful that you're here. Just love it that you're here. I had a, there's schools out now, so things change in Oceana County. Um, I had a family that's on vacation, just kind of mentioned that this morning. They texted me, said, man, we're going to miss our church family this morning. We're praying for you. We're praying for our church. Just love being part of a church family. Um, for me personally, it's kind of weird. It's just me, my wife, and my parents are up this weekend. Um, the two girls are down in Zealand. The boys are at a bachelor party all weekend. So just, I miss worshiping in the house of the Lord with my entire family. Don't ever take that for granted. And then I'm looking out, and I see Terry Shaw is here this morning. Terry, welcome. It's been quite a journey of your recovery. He's walked through a couple of strokes, and his heart is to be here. So just say welcome this morning, Terry. Glad to see you're back. <laughs> But that joy only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why we can sing, and that's why, why we gather. So we are in part 13 of Patriarchs and Matriarchs, Walking the Way of Faith. And this is our last um, Sunday um, that we're going to be spending in this series. Uh, this is our... Last year in January through spring, we walked through the first 12 chapters, first 11 chapters of Genesis. I call that Genesis, the origin of faith. Everything comes out of those first few chapters, and they're so important to understand as we walk through the rest of the Bible. This year, the first part of the year, now halfway through the year, we've looked at patriarch and matriarchs. There's heroes and heroines of our faith and lessons that we can learn from then. Next year, when we get to January, we're going to come back to Genesis and we're going to spend the first few months looking at the rest of the book of Genesis called Genesis. Um, we're going to be looking at Joseph and his story of faith. So we're going to stay in Genesis, but for now we're going to pause after today and we're going to start a series for the rest of the summer called Summer in the Psalms. And I'm very excited about this. Um, Dave and I have been praying about this. Dave's been talking about it for a couple years. So come back next week as we, as we get to uh, Summer in the Psalms, and there's a lot of great things that we're going to look at as we look at a different psalm every week. We're going to memorize Psalm 103 together as a church family. We're going to have a reading plan together. We're going to have a journal, and we're just excited for that. So, so that's, that's coming up. But I've enjoyed studying these patriarchs and matriarchs. We've learned so many valuable lessons over those, these 13 weeks, how to walk and how to live and how to how journey in faith. Um, but we also learn so many things about the God that we are called to follow in faith. We study these patriarchs, we study these matriarchs, looking at all they've experienced as they've said yes to the pilgrimage that God has called them on. And God says, hey, come follow me. And they wrestled with it, and then they said yes. And God said, I will be your God. I will bless you. 
I will give you everything you need for this pilgrimage that I'm calling you on. I'm going to covenant with you. I am making a promise. I'm a promise-keeping God. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Do you trust him as he's called you on your individual faith journey? So we watch these mamas and these papas say yes to this journey, and then they go out on this pilgrimage, sometimes with great success, and other times with just gut-wrenching failure. Hopefully along the way, you can connect with these patriarchs and matriarchs because they are not superheroes. They're just like us, everyday people who God has called to journey with him. And in their lives, they've attempted to do the same things that you and I have attempted to do as we kind of get to know God and live our life for God. So my prayer is, somewhere along the way, you've connected with something over these last 12 weeks, 13 weeks, to grow and walk in faith a little bit more. But then my prayer is specifically that, that you will live in such a way that those that come behind you will find you faithful. And they will look at your life and say, I've learned a little about, about God. And a little about what it means to walk in faith as I've studied these patriarchs. So after the, over the last, maybe this I think be the fourth week now, we're, in, we're looking at the patriarch Jacob. He's been our focus. He's been our attention. And the, his name Jacob means heel grabber. Heel grabber. We watched as Jacob grew up. How, how he tried to climb and contend and, and compete and swindle his way through life, trying to get to the top, trying to do things on his own. And the, for the most part, it worked for him, as it always does for a little while. And then he stole his brother's birthright, and he stole his, bre his brother Esau's blessing. And then his brother said, I'm sick of it. I'm going to kill you. So Jacob leaves, and he flees to a distant land, actually to his father's homeland, back up on, in Haran. And when he's up there, he meets his wives, and he gets married, and that's a whole process of 14 years. But then he met his match in his father-in-law, Laban, who also was a deceiver, who also reached and clawed his way to this top. So Jacob lived among Laban and his family for 20 years. But last week... We watched something happen in Jacob's heart. We, we began to see that God had planted this deep desire in his heart to go back home. And for six years, that desire just kept growing and growing and growing in his heart. And finally, after those six years, the text says that we looked at last week, Jacob had eyes to see and ears to hear what God was calling him to do. So that's where we pick up in chapter 31. So we're going to be in Genesis 31 and 32 and a little bit in 33 this morning as we wrap up this series. So let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you this morning, God, because you are my rock and my redeemer. May we learn a little bit more about you again this morning as it's revealed in your scriptures. May we learn more about these patriarchs and matriarchs as they walked in faith so by father bless the reading and bless these words this morning in our lives we pray this in your name amen so genesis 31 verse 3 is where we're going to pick it up so he had eyes to see and he had ears to see here the text said last week we looked at that verse there's verses twice verses one and two 
And then it says, after he had that, then the Lord said to Jacob, then the Lord said to Jacob, after he had eyes to see, ears to hear, return to the land of your father and grandfather and to your relatives there, and I will be with you. So Jacob calls his two wives, Rachel and, Ra Rachel and Leah, and he says, hey, meet me in the fields by the flocks. We need to talk. There's some big changes going to happen. We do that, don't we? There's things going on. Maybe, maybe there's, then you don't want other people to hear you, so you're maybe in a crowded house. You say, hey, meet me over here in this room. Maybe it's the bathroom. And you gather in there. You shut the door. You turn on the water, and you're like, I can't believe what they just said. Did you hear and see what's going on? And then you just rant and you rave for a few minutes and then you turn the water off, put the smile back on, and you go out back into, the, into your community. Jacob meets Rachel and Leah in the field among, among the sheep and he says to them in verse 5, I've noticed that your father's attitude towards me has changed. I've lived with integrity. I've done everything your father asked me to do. He, he's cheated me time and time again. Ten times he's adjusted my wages, not for the good. He keeps heel grabbing me, deceiving me. I, I've done everything I've known how to do. And then interestingly, he begins to the theologically interpret the sheep mating story that we studied last week, that weird story. And, 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 and he says to his wives, your father told me if they're striped, they're yours. If they're spotted, they're yours. They became striped. They became spotted. It must be of the Lord. Wives, we're doing everything we can. It's time for us to leave and go do us as a family. Sometimes we get to that point, don't we? Where we just got to do us as a family. And that's all right for a season. And that's where Jacob and Leah and Rachel are at. So then they respond in verse, in verse 14. I don't have these verses on the screen. It's just kind of overview. They're like, that's fine with us. And in verse 16b, they say, so, so go ahead and do whatever God has told you to do. They trusted that their husband could hear and see what God has called them to. So they decide that they're going to sneak out. And this is just not a small party. This is a massive group of people and animals and everything else, as we learn, because Jacob was blessed and he's prospered. So they're going to sneak out in the, in the dead of night. So silently and quietly, the best they can, they leave. But nobody knows that Rachel, one of his wives, sneaks into her father Laban's tent. He's gone. He's shearing sheep. She takes these little icons, these little statues, these, these little uh, traditional things that were traditional in, Mesopot uh, in Mesopotamia, and she, she steals them and wraps them up, and she takes them with her as they leave. Nobody knows. Three days later, Laban finds out that everybody's gone and, and that, that his, his household idols are, are, are stolen. So he, he chases after them. Well, while he's in pursuit of this caravan of Jacob, God reaches into the story. And he, he, speaks to, he speaks to him and he says this, I'm warning you, Laban, leave Jacob alone. Leave Jacob alone in verse 24. 
what would you do? I think I would have turned my horse right around and gone back home. But no, he continues following. And seven days later, he catches up with the caravan. He catches up with them. And when he catches up with them, go to verse 26. Because I want to read what happened here. So Genesis 31, verse 26. I got to get here a minute. What do you mean by deceiving me like this, Laban demanded? How dare you drag my daughters away like prisoners of war? Why did you slip away secretly? Why did you deceive me? And why didn't you say you wanted to leave? I would have given you a farewell feast with, a string, with singing and music accompanied by tambourines and harps. Why didn't you let me kiss my daughters and grandchildren and tell them goodbye? You have acted very foolishly. I could destroy you. But the God of your father appeared to me last night and warned me, leave Jacob alone. I can understand your feeling that you must go and your intense longing for your father's home. But why have you stolen my gods? Laban has a lot to say to Jacob and to his family. He even pulls out the grandparent card. When that happens, all bets are off. You know he's mad. But then Jacob responds in verse 31. I rushed away because I was afraid, Jacob answered. I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. There's been a history of that. But as for your God, see if you can find them and let the person who has taken them die. You shouldn't have said that. And if you find anything else that belongs to you, identify it before all these relatives of ours, and I will give it back. But Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the household idols. Laban went first into Jacob's tent to search there, then into Leah's, and then the tents of the two servant wives. But he found nothing. Finally, he went into Rachel's tent. But Rachel had taken the household items and hidden them in her camel saddle. And now she was sitting on them. When Laban had thoroughly searched her tent without finding them, she said to her father, Please, sir, forgive me if I don't get up for you. I'm having my monthly period. So Laban continued his search, but he could not find the household idols. This is such a great part of this story. I find it extremely interesting, that last part, that the thing reserved for men, these, these idols, these household idols, are now hidden by Rachel in her womanness. That's, that's powerful. And I can't get past this image of Rachel leaving one life and heading over to another life. Leaving her birth country of Haran and her family and everybody else and going to a place that she did not know. And in the meantime, she grabs some things that reminds her of her home and of her upbringing. And these, these household idols represent something that's important to her and her family. She's reminded of her family of origin, all their traditionals, the rituals, the, the growing up stories, all the inside jokes that happen inside the house. She takes them and tucks them as she begins a new life. Have not every one of us done the same thing? When we enter adulthood, when we enter marriage, when we, when we enter some new season or new stage that we're going into, we hang on to these things of the past and we, we don't let go. It, it can be a great thing. In our new season, we carry something with us that anchors us 
to the old. And it gives us confidence and security and stability because we don't know where we're going from here. But, 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 but somewhere, listen, somewhere along the way we have to wrestle with the fact that those old securities, the old confidences, even the old idols are not enough to lead us into the new life. When we idolize or idealize our past, we cannot fully and freely live into the future that God has for us. Ah, oh, life was so much better back then. Or there's so much hurt back here that I just got to hang on. So one of my sons is getting married in two weeks. And he's the son that always is like, I don't want to grow up. He's loved his childhood. He's loved his teenage years. He's loved his young adult life. We've been having conversations. We meet every Thursday morning for breakfast just talking about marriage. And he's super excited about getting married. I'm like, don't. Hang on to these things from the past. Yes, they've been good and they've been great, but dream about what God has for you over here. Walk into that with open, eye, open ears and open eyes for what God has for you. So often we cling to the things from our past. When we idolize and idealize our past, we cannot live freely and enter into this unknown future. Do we always know where God's calling us? No. Does he know what his marriage is going to look like? No, not at all. But he knows he's going to cling to Jesus. That he's going to walk by faith as he moves forward because God's calling him that way to a to, to different uh, journey. So can I simply ask you, where in your life are you attempting to carry your idols, your securities, your past into the future that God has for you? Does that make sense? What is it for you? Where are you holding on to things so tightly? And God's like, just let them go. Oh, I got to have them. Maybe. Trust God. So what are you holding on to? Allow the Holy Spirit to ask that question in your heart this week. So we move on. We've got a lot to cover this week because you'll hear in a little bit. Move on. Well, let's go back first a minute. Genesis 35, 2, Jacob addresses his whole family with this issue of household idols because he realizes what has happened. And, and we find this verse. It says, so Jacob told everyone in his household, get rid of all your pagan idols. Purify yourself. Put on clean clothes. Because where you are going, you're going to have to learn to depend on God more and more deeply. That's why we can't cling to those things. So what does all this mean? So I want to tie in last week. Sorry about the small print. Because this is where I was supposed to end last week. So you're getting a sermon and a half today. I told you there's a lot going on today. There will be tension. We talked about that last week. Count on it. In your life there will be tension. But out of great tension, beautiful harmony can be made. But sometimes in the process and during that tension, turning that tension into harmony, God may plant something in you that might take a few years, it might take a season to come to fruition. It'll take water and it'll take light. Do you know that after a storm, there's water? After darkness, there's light? 
but, 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 but this, this thing will keep emerging in you. And then there will be a day where finally you can see and hear if you're pursuing and trusting God. Yes, God, I see what you want me to do. Yes, God, I hear you telling me what to do. And I choose to trust you. But then at that time, you have to wrestle with your tendency to say, I'm going to grab hold of the past. The tendency we all have to scoop up the confidences that we used to enjoy and carry on into this new life. But we always have to come to a place where we relinquish that and say, God, I trust you, and walk ahead with open hands and open hearts and open eyes and open ears. So it was, 19, or it was 1519 when Cortez landed on the shores of Mexico. He had very few men left and very few supplies. But within a, a year, he conquered the entire empire. The source of his success was not in his weapons or his tactics or his genius. It was a decision that he made when he landed on the shore on that day. He ordered all the men, all the ships to come off the, shi uh, off the ships onto the shore. And once they are all cleaned off, he burnt the ships. Set them on fire. They were absolutely useless. And every one of the men that came with him on that day had no other alternative but to move empty-handed and open-hearted to a new life, to this new calling that they had. That's the way of faith with us as well. That's the pilgrimage that Jacob has been on, and so are we. To say, God, here's my past. Here's my present. Here's my future. I'm going to walk with you. I'm not going to cling to these old household idols. Walk by faith. All right, on to the message for today. So now we're at the, now we're, we're in chapter 31 yet, and verses 43 through 55, Jacob and Laban make peace. And they set up this kind of worship, this worship ceremony thing here with, with stones. And then, then he kisses his grandchildren, it's about the grandchildren again, and his daughters, and he blesses them. Then he left, and he went home, and Jacob and his family started on their journey down south again. But in order for Jacob to go home, who's he going to have to face? Esau. The one who vowed to kill him 20, 20 years earlier. And that's been chewing at Jacob all this time. But before we dig into the text, I just want to make an observation. We all know that Jacob is on his way to see Esau. We know that there's a confrontation coming when they see each other. But what might be subtle as we look at this passage, what might be easy to miss as we looked at this text, is Jacob has not one, but two different encounters. Not one confrontation, but two. One with his brother, and one with God himself. At the end of chapter 32, we'll see him having a confrontation and wrestling with God. All throughout the Bible, we see that if you seek to make peace with God, you must also make peace with others. Seeking peace with God and seeking peace with your brother and sister in Christ or brother and sister are bound to each other in the biblical text. Do you know that our Jewish brothers and sisters have an interesting tradition? Once a year, Yom Kippur, they ask forgiveness from God in this ceremony, this, this feast. 
But do you know what happens before Yom Kippur? They have to prepare themselves. And they're required to ask for forgiveness of other, other people. There's a, a season of preparation. So on their way to asking forgiveness of God, they had to ask forgiveness from those that have, they have wronged or maybe that have wronged them. In some traditions in the Jewish faith, they even go to the grave site. And they ask forgiveness of the dead and say, I'm sorry, but I have not been living underneath this covenant and the way that I should be. They took it that seriously. Because the implication was, you can't ask God for forgiveness until you have sought forgiveness with your brother or your sister. Listen what Jesus says in Matthew, 20, Matthew 5 during the Sermon of the Mount. He says this. Sorry, I got up here. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer, offer your gift. When you go to bring your gift in worship, you're on the way from the parking lot to the pew or chairs, And you remember a brother or sister that has a problem with you, that you've offended. It might be something new, or it might be something that's been going on for decades. Jesus says, leave what you brought to church and go make peace with them. And then come back and make your offering to God. And the mind of the most brilliant person to ever walk this earth Jesus Christ, it was so important that we made peace with one another that God would prioritize that over our own worship of him. Understand how important that is? We read again in 1 John 4, verse 20 and 21. 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God in whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. I wanted to offer that as an observation before we dive into this next part of the text. Because I know in this room this size, there are many people that struggle to make peace with somebody. And it's different and it's hard for every, diff every, every person. But you need to do what you can to pursue peace. You need to go have those conversations and do what it is that you can do. What's up to you, you have to do. But pastor, I'm not ready. But pastor, I've tried before. Go. You know how much time we spend as pastors walking through family issues? It needs to happen. But it's ugly. It's going to hurt. Go. Do it. Before you make your offering with God. We have communion today. Go make it right. It's vitally important to God that in pursuit of him we are living in peace with and attempting to make peace with others. Can, I, can the word of God be any clearer? Are you going to do something about it? That's what Jacob is attempting to do here. In, in chapter 32, Jacob is going to meet Esau. 
We could say that chapter 32 is a pathway to peacemaking. There are some things we can learn along this pathway that our patriarch Jacob can teach us. He knows his brother is there waiting, actually coming towards him, and that this meeting will be a hot mess. He's been dreading it for 20 years. That's why he does a few things to prepare. First thing he does, he sends out an advance party ahead of him with a message. We see that in 32, verse 5b. I have sent these messengers to inform you of, the, of my Lord coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. The messengers come back to Jacob with this response in verse 6. We met your brother Esau, and he is already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. These are not Esau's golf buddies. These, this is not the, roti or the Rotary Club of Moab. These are men of war. Can you imagine the heightened sense in Jacob's heart right now? He was terrified at this news. So he does some things to prepare for the meeting. Three things. He, first, he divides his big caravan of people into two groups. And we see a little bit of his thinking in verse 8. Thinking, if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. Well, I don't like this kid. He's going in this group. I like this kid. He's going in this group. <laughs> this wife over here. I don't know how he divided it, but he did. So he divides. The second thing he does is he prays. He prays. Let's read this prayer together because it's powerful. Let's read it out loud. There's two, two sections here. Then Jacob prayed. O God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac. O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps, Oh, Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I am afraid that he is coming to attack me, along with my wives and children. But you promise me I will surely treat you kindly, and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore, too many to count. This is a prayer of deep humility. I only had my walking stick when I left 20 years earlier. Now here I am crossing back over the same river. And I have all this influence. These big two parties, this huge caravan. And why do I have it? Because you have blessed me. Because you have been faithful. And you have unfailing love. And it's all because of you, God. Now I ask you to deliver me from the hand of my brother who wants to kill me. Then he does something very, very interesting in this passage. He reminds God, you ever do that before? He reminds God of something that God promised. You, God, are the one who said, you will be with me. You will bless me. All these children, all the success, as much as the seashore. In other words, Jacob is praying. He's reminding God of his job. But know what I think is really happening? I think Jacob is reminding Jacob of God's job. Jacob is reminding Jacob of God's job. 
Sometimes when we face the most critical, daunting seasons in our lives, we have no options. Not, we don't know what else to do. It's so important to remind ourselves of God's job. To rest on the promises of God. I think I've talked about it every week. God is a promise-keeping God as we walk through Genesis. This morning, can I just remind you of a couple promises? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for good, not a disaster, to give you a hope and a future. Maybe someone needs to hear the words of Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. What's, what's your them? For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Might not be bad for some of us to remember the final words of our Savior Jesus Christ before he left, especially in the day and the age that we're living. And be sure of this. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Promises of God. Jacob's reminding himself of the promises of God, of God's job. Will God keep that promise? 100%. Might it look the way Jacob wants? Nope. He might end up being dead, but he knows his God is faithful. As people of faith, we have to always remember what God has already made known. But so often we depend on our own resources, our own limitations, our own powers of negotiating, just as we see Jacob doing next. So the third thing he does, he assembles this big offering to this gift to his brother, like a, like a peace offering. Look what it says in verse 14. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys he's going to give to his brother. Now, if that doesn't make peace, I don't know what will. Here's all I have. I'm laying it on the table. I want to make peace with you, Esau. You can have this. But know what happens? We eventually run out of our own bag of tricks, right? We need to remember the words of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own bag of tricks. Lean not on your own resources. Lean not on your own negotiating skills, Jacob. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will do what? Direct your path. Make your path straight. You have issues with somebody else? He will make your path straight. Ask him. So if we really do acknowledge God, and we recognize that the presence of God is not just with us, but, he, but, but he, the, that when you meet, when you, when you try to figure out how to do this negotiating, that God's already going before you. He's at the negotiating table with you. Even if the person you're trying to make peace with is not a believer, they are still made in the image of God. And God's the creator. He has the capacity to work in their hearts while God is working in your life, Right? To, to find peace that neither one of you thinks could happen. God can do it. So Jacob in his prayer remembered the promises of God. It was a good thing because that night he was going to need it. This is where I want to end it. Verse 22 through 24. I'm going to keep going. 
going to be a little bit later today. I want to finish this series up. I knew that going in. So verse 22 through 24. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. A lot of powerful lines in here, but what about that one line? This left Jacob all alone. How often are you really alone? How often are you intentional about being alone? It's when we are alone, when all our stuff has gone across the river, we have nothing left that we can, we can insulate ourselves with. That's when God shows up. That's when God shows up. So much. So Jacob, just when he left, just like when he left his brother, he is now empty-handed, empty-hearted, and he's alone. And text tells us that he wrestled with a man until daybreak. What man was that? Everyone else is across the river. Who's the stranger in the night that he was wrestling with? The text begins with just identifying him as a man. By the end of the wrestling match, Jacob said, I have seen God's face to face, yet my life has been spared. So who was it, this wrestler in the night? Was it some man? Was it an angel? Was it God himself? Who or what was he wrestling with? Who or what are you wrestling with? It's 19, I think 1998, Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. It's the ear bite fight. These two heavyweights are duking it out. An extraordinary match. Just slugging it out back and forth. In the middle of the round, they lock up. Tyson reaches down with his mouth and he bites Evander's ear. And he bites a chunk right out of it and he spits it out on the ring. Holy fear's ear, ear is bleeding like crazy, so the fight is stopped for a moment to stop the bleeding. They continue the fight. This time, they lock up again after a few moments. Tyson bites him again. This time, they stop the fight completely. The ring immediately fills with people, police and medics and coaches and policemen and judges and security guards and bodyguards. And there is a moment when there's chaos in the whole ring. And Tyson just keeps swinging. He's swinging at his own corner, people. He's swinging at the police. He's swinging at all the officials. He's slugging at anybody that's close to him. And I remember what the commentator said. Truly, this is one confused young man. Really. But this is exactly what's going on with Jacob. He's swinging just about at anybody that he can. He's blaming everybody for his life. It's my father's fault. It's my brother's fault. It's my father-in-law's fault. It's even God's fault, and I'm fighting with him. I don't know who this man is, but I'm wrestling with him. But sooner or later, Jacob realizes that the one he is wrestling with is not just an ordinary man. The text continues in verse 25 and 26. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
Jacob recognizes that there is power in this man that he's wrestling. He must be a man of influence. He must have something that I want. So Jacob heel grabs this man, and he grabs on, and he won't let go. Bless me. I want you to bless me. You have something for me. So get this picture. He's exhausted. Okay, everybody get it. He's exhausted. His hip is now out of socket, and he chooses not to let go. Most of the time when you and I wrestle with God, and we do, right? We do. There's nothing unspiritual about wrestling with God. To ask questions, to figure out, God, is this exactly what you want for me on my faith journey? Did you lay this on my heart and let it grow and grow and grow? Is this from God? When we wrestle with God, there will be seasons in our life in which it hurts. Where something gets knocked out of socket. That moment where we get disappointed with God. We become angry. And, we, and what do we often choose to do? We choose to let go. We choose to let go. To walk away. Ah, it's not worth it. God didn't come through. If God loved me then. But Jacob is teaching us right here. You can wrestle with God and hang on. Hang on with both hands. So he says, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And this is my favorite part. I think I said that two or three times today. So the man, this divine being, he has Jacob in a hold. And Jacob has him in a hold. And they don't let go and they're exhausted and they can barely talk. I'm not letting go until you bless me. And the wrestler says in verse 27, what is your name? And he replies, Jacob. I'm Jacob. I'm the heel grabber. I'm the trickster. I'm the deceiver. And in this moment, transformation in Jacob's life comes through confession. He comes to the place where he recognizes, I can blame no other man. It's not my dad. It's not my brother. It's not my father-in-law. There's no one else here besides me and God. And I can't blame God because the truth is, I'm Jacob. It's me. We have to come to the point and admit often that it's me. I'm the problem. And that God has the solutions and we need to grab hold onto him as tight as we can and hear and see what he wants us to do. The beauty of this story is that, that Jacob confronts God who makes Jacob confront Jacob. That's the way we do it in faith. When we walk the way of faith, we confront the God that makes us confront ourselves. What's he confronting you with right now? What is it in your life that you're wrestling with God with and God just wants you to say, you know what? I'm Jacob. We can go all day. There's a verse that's been in my head a lot this week. I think I have it on here. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Church, we spend all part of, the, part of the winter and the spring looking about these patriarchs and these matriarchs. On your faith journey, on your pursuit with God, who is he calling you to make peace with? 
Some of you in here might be making peace with God for the first time. We sang about it. There is joy in the Lord because of Christ and what he's done on the cross. There's joy in the Lord, in the Lord because it is Christ who lives in me, not I. And Jacob recognized that. Maybe this morning you need to come to the point where you say, I haven't even accepted this God or said yes to this God. Today is the day to start that journey. Today is the day. But for many of us, we understand what Jacob is doing here. And we get a brand new name like Jacob got. Look at the next verse. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. For now on, you will be called Israel. And this is where we're going to watch this story unfold as we move through the rest of Genesis later. Because 2,431 times the word Israel, the name Israel, is used in the Bible as we move forward. It's a primary thread in the redemptive story of God. Israel ultimate means, ultimately means God's people. And God's people accept him by faith and walk with him by faith. We have to have ears that are open, eyes that can see, and a heart that's willing to do what God has asked you to do. So let me just end with verse 33, chapter 33, verses 3 and 4. Then Jacob went out ahead. As he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. Jacob learned to walk the way of faith. Have you? So we're going to come into a time of communion. So I need the servers to come forward. Let me just ask you, where are you on your faith journey? Is there joy in your heart because of what Jesus Christ has done for you? May this be the day of your salvation. Because Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, took a meal with his disciples. And he said, this blood, this cup, as representative <laughs> of my shed blood for you. And that my body is going to be broken for you so that we can walk by faith, to make us right with God. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are more than welcome to partake in this communion. If you're not a believer, just pass and really think about what God is doing in your life. Maybe this morning, before you take communion, you want to give your heart to Christ. Just ask him. Recognize that he's the Lord and Savior. That he came, he lived a perfect life, and paid the penalty for your sin. And then you're free to join us with communion. But I also want to challenge you. If you have an issue with a brother or sister, and it's been going on for years, or something new, and you're struggling with it, really wrestle with what God wants you to do before you take communion this morning. May this be a pivotal moment in your walk with God this year.